Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJS Bay's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the educational issues important to you and to bring state leaders uh, also to you, and we hope that you join in on that conversation. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host for this morning's program. Uh, but before we get started, I'll ask Anne-Marie uh, to tell you how to participate. Thank you, Ray. I'd be happy to. To call in, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four. When you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate on my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask you to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log on to. We will be monitoring the chat room and will pass on some of the questions or comments to our speaker. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Anne-Marie. The Sunshine Law has been around since the 1970s and basically has not changed all that much in the intervening years. But the world around it certainly has changed dramatically, especially in the area of technology. When the law law was written, email, cell phones, and even PCs were not around. Um, And that has changed how we communicate. The Sunshine Law governs how local government entities work, including school boards, and the technology changes how you work. This can cause some legal issues for local boards of education because everyday actions that you do at work and at home may not be uh, something that you should be doing as a local school board member. Uh, Today, since there are a lot of legal legal, uh, issues with this, I have three attorneys with me today, so I assume that we'll have at least five opinions. Um, uh, I'd like to introduce them to you. Uh, First, with New Jersey School Board Association, uh, my colleague, uh, but I'm not... John Burns from our both our legal department and our governmental relations. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me, Ray. And uh, we also have Kim Beeline with us. Kim, and who are you with? Just briefly, tell us your background. I am with Cooper Levinson uh, in the Cherry Hill office, and thank you. It's my pleasure to be here today. Okay, thank you. And uh, Mark Zinnemer, uh, Mark. Uh, uh, good morning, Ray. And where are you? Who are you with? I'm a partner with uh, Shank Price, Smith & King in Florham Park. Thanks for having me on the show again. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem. Um, okay, let's fo- let's focus on some of these technology issues because uh, I know I get a lot of questions on these from board members uh, all the time. Let's fo- I'll first start with email issues. Um, Mark, I'll start with you. What constitutes a meeting? Uh, no, before we get to email, what constitutes a meeting? Well, the, uh, Ray, the Open Public Meetings Act defines a meeting as a gathering, whether it's in person or by means of communication equipment, which is important in the definition, which is gathered by a majority of the members of the public body, and it's got to be held with the intent of, of doing business. Um, we all know that committee meetings of, of boards of education, for instance, are not meetings under the law, and therefore they're not subject to the Open Public Meetings Act if the committee has less than a majority of the members. Okay, uh, Kim. Uh, if a board, if board members are exchanging emails, could that start to begin to constitute a meeting? Absolutely, Ray, and that's one of the things that we caution board members against, uh, and that is having these rolling conversations. 
uh, or conversations where there are a majority of the board members involved in the discussion. So yes, a, an email that's sent out to a majority of the board members or even a rolling discussion where you make a comment and then somebody respond, res, hits respond all is always is, is, constitutes a meeting. Uh, John, is there a way that a board uh, board members? I mean, can you have like say one way communications uh, with emails to get some information out? Because that's you know we all use email to some degree to get information out. Well, certainly, one way communication, for instance, where the superintendent may be sending out a notice to the board, or the president may be sending out a notice to the other members. One way communication. Uh, does not violate the Sunshine Law. It is uh, in the um, reply to that that one really has to be very, very careful because that may indeed violate the Sunshine Law. Um, Mark, you were uh, uh, Kim mentioned uh, replying back. Uh, I guess is that you don't want to see a board or the I guess including the administration, deliberating on and, and what's deliberation? How, how would you define deliberation? Yeah, it's a problem when a majority of a public entity discusses the item of the business. I'm sorry, the business of that public body by email, as you know, Kim pointed out, whether that's serial emails or simultaneous emails, which could be done with some sort of you know live chat or something along those lines. Um, deliberations again, discussing the items of the uh, the public entity. And that's obviously a, a big problem because it, it violates, in my view, the spirit and intent of the Open Public Meetings Act, which is that the public really has a right to witness and, and partake in those deliberations. And when they're happening on computers behind closed doors, that's clearly uh, a violation of the, of the law and, and the intent behind the law. Uh, Kim, uh, would you? Uh, what advice would you give boards if they want to communicate with email? Because uh, you you said a, a few before, but could you just reiterate them and maybe some advice you give your local boards? Sure. What I tell board members, I like to paint a word uh, word picture, and what I tell them is, to, you know, the sunshine law is you think of the sun shining through this dark room, and the idea is that the public has the ability to witness their deliberation process. They, they, they have the, the right to see how they make decisions. So if you, if you paint a picture of being able to see what's happening, then I think board, then I think that's a good guide for board members. So yes, email is fine if it's a one-way course of communication and they're not, um, they don't have everyone involved in that in in that one way uh, conversation, or they say do not reply to all. Um, I think that those are that's a good way to for, to handle the email. Uh, John, I know. Uh, uh, before I get to you, John, uh, we're speaking with uh, three attorneys: John Burns, Mark Zimmer, and Kim Beline. Uh, if you want to ask a question, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and press one, and uh, Amory will. Take your question and we'll put you on the air. Or you can uh, also uh, ask a question in the chat room. I see a few people there already. Uh, John, you had a question. I know someone emailed you a question about sending links to each other uh, on an ish on something uh, or sharing a link. And uh, do you want to explain that? Well, I mean, certainly when John, um, could you speak up? I can't hear you. Certainly, uh, when. 
board members are communicating over email and you're being asked to, to share something. Certainly, if there is uh, an article um, that uh, board members wish to share with other board members, um, that's uh, certainly permissible to uh, include that link. But again, the issue is uh, one-way communication versus two-way communication. Uh, board members are always free to share other information uh, with other board members. The the issue, as has been pointed out, is one of once you ask for a reply, uh, you get into uh, the area where you may be violating the Sunshine Law. Um, I know we're focusing on the Sunshine, but there's also the Open Public Records Act. And now these e email – before people could talk to each other on the phone, and maybe they had a telephone chain – uh, but there was kind of no paper trail. Mark, with the emails, there is a paper trail. Uh, I know that sounds negative, but uh, are, are your email records as a board member or administrator uh, subject to the Open Public Records Act? Yes, absolutely. If uh, board members or administrators discuss items of board business, um, those emails absolutely uh, can constitute government records, which are ultimately discoverable uh, under the Open Public Records Act unless they fit into one of the exemptions. So all of these conversations that board members may be having by email that they think are in fact private are really not because uh, a member of the public could file an OPA request and say, hey, I want the emails from this period of time involving this topic between board members, you know, Jane Doe and John Doe. And unless the topic that was being discussed, again, fell within one of the exemptions, those emails would have to be produced. And there are, in fact, uh, many cases before the Government Records Council where those emails were, in fact, ordered to be produced. So um, like I always advise my board members, you know, be careful about the use of email and, more importantly, be careful about what you say because those emails could end up on the front page of the local paper. And can I just add to that, Ray? Sure. I, I recently saw a, a G, uh, Government Records Council case where the the board had to give over something like 4,500 4,500 emails uh, based upon a request that was made. So Mark is absolutely right that you know every time a board member emails someone, unless it falls within an, a specifically enumerated exemption, that email is discoverable. Um. Now, I'm a board member. Uh, Kim, this will be a follow-up to you then. Uh, I'm a board member, and I, uh, I'm i using my private email. Uh, and I have a lot of stuff on there uh, that doesn't deal with board business. Who decide, you know, do, do they get all my emails or just the ones pertaining to the board business? Um, it's my understanding that they that it's it would be emails related to the board business. Um, your private your private. Your private emails are um, – actually, no, your private emails are discoverable. Um, but I, I think that an, an attorney can make a, an argument that something that's totally not related uh, uh, and, and um, may be withheld. But, but I think the general rule is that all emails are subject to discovery. So, John, I'm um, listening right, to – If I could just jump in here for a second. I was going to you what anyway, John, so go ahead. Um, one of the key things with regard to uh, board members' use of email is for board business, they should really get in the habit of using their district email account um, mm -hmm. if the district provides one. Uh, 
because when it comes to these issues of Oprah, in terms of administering uh, the Oprah request itself and responding to the requester uh, for emails about board business, um, if a board member is using the uh, official uh, school board email uh, as their account, um, that helps in the administration of these records requests. Yeah, that was actually going to be my question. Uh, Mark, would you recommend the same thing? Yeah, I would absolutely recommend that boards use the um, the network, the district network server to, to host those emails, to maintain those emails, and so forth. Um, the GRC has said that whether the emails are on a private computer or a, a district or council computer really doesn't matter. They're still subject to disclosure if they involve a, an item of board or municipal business. Um, I think it's a good idea to let the district's custodian of records um, maintain those emails, uh, destroy them ultimately in accordance with the destruction of public records schedule and so forth. You know, it's, it's a violation of the law, and some board members forget this, to delete an email if that email is a, a public record. You can't just delete it. You're actually destroying a public record. So to me, let the, the business administrator, if that's the custodian of records for the district, be responsible for maintaining all those emails, you know, ultimately destroying them and so forth. So I, I like to do it that way. Um, it, it doesn't matter, quite frankly, whether they're on a private email account or a uh, public email account, if you will. There's there's still government records. Uh, I just can I just clarify one thing that that Kim mentioned also. Yep. Um, in terms of emails between board members, I do think that just because the individuals happen to be board members doesn't necessarily make the the email, and I don't think this is what Kim was saying anyway, doesn't make them necessarily government records if it doesn't relate to the public entity in any way, shape, or form. So if a board right. member emails another board member, let's go out to the movies on a Saturday night, that's obviously not going to be a, a government record. It's only when it touches upon the public entity's business that it would be subject to disclosure. That That is correct, Mark. That's correct. Yeah. That's that's uh, that was the distinction I was trying to make. Thank you. Yeah, okay. I, 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 uh, how long do you have to keep emails? Does it depend what they're on? Then, if they're a, they're a government record, so your custodian record, I, I guess they would have. To, does it depend on what the email's on, or the attachments? I believe that the law is uh, three years, but I'm not 100% positive on email communications, and I also do think that the schedule uh, does distinguish um, based on content as well. So mm -hmm. certain um, emails of, of particular content have to be kept longer than others is my understanding yeah. of it. Ray, Ray uh, Mark is exactly right. Um, the records retention laws uh, or the record retention schedule says in general if you have a uh uh internal um communication meaning um uh communication among uh among board members um among school personnel uh that communication in general needs to be kept for at least one year if it's external communication in other words email uh uh sent to receive uh between people that are within the organization and uh, without the organization, um, those emails generally need to be kept for three years. And as Mark pointed out, there's another line of analysis uh, that you also have to make with that with regard to, depending on the content of the email, there may be further retention requirements uh, beyond that. And I would and assume I'm, Kim, I'm Kim sorry, I, wanted to to, I just wanted to add one more thing. There's also a requirement for email backup. The email backup system 
records okay. have to be kept for three years. Okay. Um, uh, Kim, uh, I would assume uh, one thing that you should never d- discuss, even with a no- any number of board members, uh, would be a, like discussing what you think of the superintendent. Any personnel issues should not be discussed via email? Correct. Okay. Uh, and uh, either one of you, Mark or Kim, uh, should the board have a policy on email usage just for, for everyone? Oh yes, I think that's a very good idea. I I am uh, I know I'll make a pitch for New Jersey School Boards has uh, some wonderful sample policies on such things, and I think it would be wise for the board to have for every board to have an email policy. Okay, we're speaking with Mark Zinmer, Kim Beline, and John Burns on uh, uh, technology issues in Sunshine Law and obviously the Open Public Records Act. If you want to call. Uh, and ask a question, please dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one. Um, uh, before I move off of email, does anyone have any uh, thing that I I probably should have asked that I didn't ask? I, nothing comes to mind. No. I think we get all the topics. No. Oh no, wow. No. Okay, let's let's move. Now, now we have other issues that I mean, e- email's been around for a while, but now we have Facebook, Twitter, and the social media where people are posting things. Um, I guess, Mark, uh, issues with board members posting opinions on Facebook. Any guidelines? Because I've seen there's been some issues with this. Sure. Um, I I think boards uh, should consider also having policies on board members' use of social networking sites. I always think it's a good idea to have some policies and some guidelines. Um, We know that board members have First Amendment rights to express their opinions. However, they have to be careful that they're not uh, conveying an opinion that could be uh, construed as the opinion of the entire public entity. So uh, it's always a good idea to have some disclaimers in there that this represents your own personal opinion and not the view of the the Board of Education. Um, Board members also have to be mindful of the ethics as well in terms of not disclosing confidential information, not maligning the personnel of the district because board members have to support and protect school personnel. Uh, If you're going to provide information about the school district, of course, you want to make sure that that information is accurate and so forth. So, um, again, remember your ethics. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Kim, could you elaborate? That's a nice title, uh, Mark. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mark uh, Mark was talking about the Code of Ethics. Um, So, if I want to rant about I'm a board member and I just had an issue with it maybe my own kids teacher I have to be very careful I shouldn't really rant on Facebook is what you're saying you should not rant on space on Facebook but, that is not the place to do that but it's my uh, opinion but, I'm you know it's my Facebook it's not like this is true know. but the the courts have held that public employees do not have the same first amendment rights as the general public when it comes to issues of employment. So unless it's a matter that that is of public concern, then uh, Facebook is not the place to to air your frustrations. It, it can get you, as, as it has, gotten many people into trouble. Um, John, I'll switch a little bit. What about if uh, a staff member posts something, and I've seen this in the, uh, should a board have a policy on, what, what their teachers post on their own Facebook page because it could come back to create a stir. Um, uh, you're exactly correct. Um, uh, teachers uh, and other school personnel need to be mindful of uh, what they post on their uh, social networking sites um, and 
uh, we here at New Jersey School Boards Association do recommend that um, school districts adopt um, a social networking policy for staff um, because it can um, get uh, staff people in, into hot water. Um, there have been media reports in the past of uh, teachers um, uh, expressing their opinions about students, for instance, and that has led to uh, uh, disciplinary uh, actions. And so, yes, you are indeed very correct. Boards should have a policy with regard to social networking, um, with regard to uh, not only employees but also board members as well. Mark, if I heard John correctly, you can discipline a teacher for if you're if, if, maybe only if you have a policy, but for their remarks on their own web, Facebook page, uh, if they comment on students or something to, or other teachers, I guess. Yeah, I do believe that that could be subject to disciplinary action. I think Kim hit the nail on the head before when she said that you know the standard is does the does the topic involve a matter of public concern? If it does, then it's going to have constitutional protection. Whereas you know we had the case out of uh, Patterson where the teacher lost her, her her tenure for posting on her Facebook page that she felt like she was a warden handling future criminals. That was obviously not protected speech, and uh, as a result, as I mentioned, she lost her, her job as a result of it. So um, there is constitutional protection attached to staff members' communications on Facebook, um, but there's also lines that have to be drawn, and, and that kind of goes back to the whole idea of having a, a policy in place to set some guidelines as to what is permissible and what is not permissible. Mm -hmm. And talking uh, about students is always something you have to be very, very careful about. Uh, I, I know in uh, District Kim uh, where uh, a board member's spouse posted uh, uncomplimentary things about um, her, her husband's uh, uh, fellow uh, colleagues. Um, but does the spouse have the full rights? I I know that the School Ethics Act does not apply. It the School Ethics Act only applies to school board members. So the spouse of a school board member would not be would not be held to the same standard um, as, as the actual board member. So the spouse um, would would be able to to would have that constitutional protection. Okay, though I I would imagine that might cause other problems that. It may oh. be legal, but it may not. Uh, oh right, be well right, right. It's it's certainly not uh, a, a wise thing to do, um, and 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 the spouse and I would not, you know, the spouse should be cautioned not to do it for a host of reasons. But I was just making the distinction that the School Ethics right. Act doesn't apply to a spouse. Uh, yeah, can, I, can I make a point on that as well? Sure. Um, b because spouses are not subject, uh, spouses who are not board members are not subject to the open um, to, to the school ethics. Act. I should say school ethics act. Um, board members have to be very careful, and in fact, should really not disclose anything learned in the course of, for instance, executive session to a spouse member. Because whereas the board member, him or herself, is subject to the act, the spouse member is not. So if the spouse member gets on Facebook and posts confidential information mm -hmm. learned from the board member. That's that's a, a real problem, obviously, and the, and the board member, him or herself, is going to be subject to an ethics charge uh, for that improper disclosure. Hmm. Um, John, uh, and, and this is not just Facebook, but maybe uh, it's not the board member doing a posting, but a member of the community posts something that, about the local board. Uh, we, we see this a lot in those uh, on the patch sites uh, where they have community forums. Uh, 
what uh, care should a board member, if they want to react to something, uh, what care should they take in reacting to a, a posting on a, a, a public site like that? Well, um, first of all, um, it can be very disconcerting when I when a board member reads something uh, uh, about about themselves that um, uh, they uh, believe is either not true or inflammatory, and it can be very very difficult to uh, restrain oneself and and not immediately uh, reply in the same tone and manner in which uh, the original posting was done. Uh, that being said. Uh, a, a board member, uh, just like when they're uh, talking to someone face-to-face, they need to always remember that they are a board member, first of all. And when it comes to uh, uh, replying to a post or something like that, the first thing they need to do is to remember that they still have their ethical duties as a board member, which means that um, they need to make sure that, one, they make it clear that their uh the opinion that they're expressing is their opinion alone and is not that of the board of education um the second thing that they need to be mindful of is um there may be things out there that they cannot comment on for instance if a uh citizen is commenting on a matter of personnel or a student matter for instance a board member still needs to uh be mindful of their ethical obligations to maintain confidentiality with regard to those issues. So um, their response uh, might be much more um, uh, uh, tepid and much more um, less inflammatory than uh, the original posting because they are constrained by the Ethics Act and other confidentiality laws uh, when they give a response. Can I add to that, Ray? Sure. I, I would also uh, recommend that board members keep in mind that they have designated someone as the spokesperson for the board, mm-hmm. and that person should be the one who responds. And then that removes um, some of the danger of responding out of out of out of emotion that you would feel because you've read something about you. Right. So if if the board members can can bring it to the attention of the spokesperson of the board, and then a, a decision is made about whether or not this this really warrants a response. And then that person, the spokesperson, should be the person who responds. Yeah, I think that's, uh, uh, from my, I, I, I've heard from a lot of board members, and it's probably one of the most frustrating things uh, that the board members face is when they see things like this. So what, you got, what I'm hearing from both of you, and I guess Mark would probably chime in too, that you kind of have to take the high road. The ethics uh, code of ethics kind of forces you to do that, and that's probably the best way to do it in general. Anyway, uh, is that? Would you agree with that? What they yes. said, uh, Mark? Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I really like Kim's idea of, of re- remembering that usually the board president is supposed to be the spokesperson spokesperson for the board, usually by policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's a really good thing to remember as well. Sometimes you just need to cool off a little bit, send it over to the board president, maybe discuss as, as an entity as a whole: do we want to respond to this at all? Do we want to engage in this back and forth? Or perhaps it's better just to leave it alone. Right. Uh, am I hearing from you that maybe the spokesperson for the board? Now, now almost extends to social media. 
to a certain degree, and that might help. You know, you don't have to do that in policy, but it might be a good policy to look into. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, well we came up with I'll... an idea today. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I would mention is when we talk about responding to things, um, the method in in which we respond and how we think about responding, regardless of the medium in which we're responding, the same uh, tenets of response would still apply. If you have the the Facebook posting um, or the email or it's a person at a board meeting, the same uh, rubrics of response are still going to apply so that um, in one sense, there really are no differences in response to the various types of media because the same rules regulate and regulations apply to that situation. That goes back to Kim's one of Kim's original points, just thinking of the Sunshine Law in, uh, on her campus that she was describing. The intent, always remember the intent of the law, I guess. Right. Uh, I, I, I guess I, I would say, for my part, the hard part is that I said it earlier is that in the rest of your life you don't worry about that. You just, you know, at work we, we go back and forth and discuss, make decisions on email, and, and I didn't I didn't even get into my texting questions yet, but we do a lot of that. But you just can't do that as a government entity. Absolutely, that They're, is uh, correct. Yeah, government officials are held to a higher standard, and different rules apply. Um, and and when you get on that board, I'm always I always say this: when you get on to a school board, you have to remember you you've got a different hat now. You're put on a different hat, and you're taking off the robe of an individual, and you're putting on the hat of of, uh, of a board member. And the whole thing, and we'll get back. And I, I want to get to some texting issues. Is that the public has the right to see the deliberations in the decision making process? So you can't be doing the decision making process in email. Unless you open up your email, I guess it's a public email for everyone to see it at all hours. Um, let's get to texting. Well, texting, I guess, then would fall into the same category, right, Mark? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, a text message really is no different than an email in some of the rules that we talked about earlier. You know, board members texting by email, a majority coming to a consensus through a text um, about an item of board business similarly would be, in my view, a violation of the Open Public Meetings Act because the public obviously can't watch those deliberations. Uh, John, um, wasn't there a, a law proposed to to actually deal with texting? Uh, was, well, uh, uh, Senator Weinberg, I, I believe, was concerned yes, about uh, that. Senator Weinberg has um, proposed uh, a bill um, that would update uh, the Sunshine Law uh, for the technological age, and in one of the um, drafts of that bill, um, uh, text uh, would come under uh, the rubric of uh, the Sunshine Law and would be subject to um, to the Sunshine Law itself. Um, and it, it brings up a whole host of other questions in terms of how um, how you go about then. Uh, obtaining those texts for purposes of records retention and the Open Public Records Act. Um, and it's something that, uh, as technology continues, uh, I think uh, we'll still uh, continue to, to deal with those issues of um, 
of retention and access uh, to those various forms of media. Kim, uh, you know, John's point about how you get Oprah, I'm using Oprah as, I guess, a, a verb now. Uh, <laughs> how do you get, if someone wants to Oprah your um, your text messages? That's, I mean, email's a little bit easier. Uh, um, how do you, that would be a little bit more difficult, I would assume, to, to get. I agree. I think it would be a little more difficult, but I do know it is it is possible. Uh we have we do have cases in which uh text messages have been used and it was found to be um inappropriate. So yes, I do think it is it is a lot more difficult and and typically the person who brought the text message was the was the complainant. So, you know, in that instance, they want to show this te- text message. I think it's probably more difficult when it's the uh the defendant or the the uh, the respondent. Mm. Um and Mark, I don't know if uh, maybe you you guys I don't know if any board members who have a a phone a cell phone, cell phone just for their board business. Maybe uh, superintendents I would, but so th- this would all be on their own private phones. Yeah, I'm not aware of board members having phones. It would probably be paid for by the board. I I think that would be a problem altogether, but um yeah, it would it would be on a, a private phone, and uh, I do think there's a way to send the text to an email and ultimately to print it. Um, I've never done it myself before, but uh, board members, again, have to be aware that those text messages, just because they're text messages, doesn't mean they're not subject to disclosure if they involve uh, items of board business. Who would review that? I mean, if uh, I'm a member of the public, and I'm watching two board members texting at a meeting, and I'm assuming they're texting each other, uh, and do I have uh, – can I just say, can we see those text messages, or would it be the custodian of records who would see that and say, no, they're they're, they're talking about what they're going to pick up at the grocery store on their way home? Well, I suppose the board, I suppose the person would have to file an OPA request for it. Uh, the custodian of records would receive the request, reach out to the, the board members at issue and say, hey, you know um, what were you texting about during the meeting, and was it was it an item of board business? And the custodian of records would have to make that review and make a determination, and presumably in consultation with board counsel, if it was a um, uh, a topic that may not be subject to disclosure because um, it was not something that um, that fit within one of the exceptions to OPRA. Um, but usually, that's a, a review done by the custodian of records, uh, depending upon the complexity of it, in consultation with board counsel. Uh, Kim, uh, Mark's point about the uh, school the in consultation with the board attorney, do you get that a lot if someone uh, – I mean, it would make sense to me if I was a custodian of record. I don't want to be the one making the final decision or the sole decision. I would want to do that. Is that something most boards do or most custodian of records do? Um, yes, yes. Frequently, the custodian, custodian of record will consult with the board attorney on the various OPA requests that are received. So, yes, I get copies of OPA requests uh, on a continuous basis, yes. Um, before I move on, any uh, anything uh, else with social media? Because I want to talk well, about something I mean, positive. I'll, I'll just chime in and say, when it comes to things such as texting, um, whether you know getting away from the question of, of legality if if you're a board member at a board meeting um uh and certainly we you know everyone has a personal cell phone and you want to make sure 
to be able to communicate with uh, uh, loved ones. Uh, but at the same time, if you're at that board meeting, um, you should uh, try to refrain from uh, uh, using your cell your cellular device um, during that board meeting, so that uh, a it communicates to the public that um, that board business is the uh, thing that you are focused on at that moment. And if you must uh, um, respond to some sort of uh, pressing matter via text or cell phone, uh, the best practice is for a board member to then uh, just excuse themselves from uh, the, the board meeting room for a moment, go out into the hallway, deal with whatever that text is, and then come back to um, the board table so that uh, that way the public knows that uh, your focus is on the matter at hand at the board meeting. I, I completely concur with what oh, John yeah. said. Um, I know the Nutley Board of Education, in fact, passed a, a policy that uh, banned board members from texting while at meetings. Uh, there was an article recently about the Bloomingdale Borough Council considering a texting ban during meetings. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it's common now, and I think a lot of boards are really strongly considering policies banning their members from texting during meetings. Um, it's distracting. It, it appears to the public that the board member may not be focused on the the business of the board. There's concerns maybe that board members are texting back texting back and forth to one another that perhaps they're texting to members of the public about items of business. And so uh, I like John's idea: no texting during meetings, and if you have a, an emergency phone call or whatever you need to deal with, step out of the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I've heard that too. That some people feel that members of the public that they're not paying attention and. Almost, I'll use the word rude. Uh, mm -hmm. That that they feel it's not proper uh, for that etiquette, and that's not even into sunshine law. And Kim, it seems sounds like you agree with that. I wholeheartedly agree. I whole I think it's a great suggestion. Now you know we've been talking for about forty minutes now, and it's been like I almost say negative, but very wary of uh, technology. Let's kind of switch for. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but we have to be. Uh, but how can we use it positive? Is it um, Kim, can we, uh, with technology, and I'm a board member who travels a lot, is it possible for me now to participate in a meeting uh, with Skype or some other manner? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm not sure that I have anything positive to say, particularly not about Skype. Uh, the board really needs to have a policy on Skyping. And mm -hmm. my my general recommendation is that absent a policy, uh, board, the board should not Skype. Okay. So uh, uh, maybe Mark or John has another view, but I'm not a big fan of, of Skype, although I do recognize that, you know, that capability is uh, generally a good thing, but I but I have found it to be very distracting in a board meeting. Um. Mark, what about? I, mean, I know this is kind of like a, a, an issue that pr probably hasn't been finally decided with the courts, but uh, is it possible that someone could attend a meeting and participate in a meeting without actually being there? Not necessarily Skype. Yeah, I, I believe whether it's Skype or speakerphone, that probably would be contemplated by the um, Open Public Meetings Act. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning of, of the um, program today, that the 
the Act does talk about communications by electronic communication, and that's what Skype is or speakerphone, but I completely agree with Kim. There really needs to be a policy setting forth some parameters so that board members don't say, hey, I'm going to call into the meeting by speakerphone because I want to be able to watch the Yankee game at the same time from my living room couch. <laughs> um, so there should be some policies in place setting forth under what circumstances board members should be able to participate by speakerphone. Do they have to be out of state? Do they have to ha be dealing with some pressing business somewhere else that made them unable to actually physically attend the meeting? We want to make sure, obviously, that the public is able to hear the board member uh, speaking and that the board member can similarly hear the public and the rest of the meeting going on. So there's, you know, you want to make sure you have all the technology in place to actually make it work. Um, you know, and the other question is maybe you want to set a policy on how many board members could possibly call in or Skype into a meeting. You don't want, I don't think, to have a majority of the board Skyping into a meeting. Um, if that's the case, maybe you need to reschedule the meeting. So there really need to be guidelines is the, is the bottom line. Well, and kind of gets back and, to all and, our other anyway, areas. I'll, John? I'll just, uh, I'll just um, uh, do the plug here and say New Jersey School Boards Association does have uh, uh, several policies and will and we'll work with any board with regard to uh, their um, their policy with regard to participating in uh, meetings remotely. Um, thank you for that plug. And um, just following up on that, uh, I guess, what about, I would think, uh, you didn't say it, but I would imagine closed session might be a little bit different scenario on, uh, with that. I mean, if you were going to go into it or executive session, whatever you want to call it, uh, that you would have to have a little, maybe a st more stringent policy in that area. I know Kim would. I can yeah. tell right away. <laughs> I definitely yeah, I, would. <laughs> yeah, and and I would say, if you if you need to do closed session issues, uh, one should not should not participate remotely mm -hmm. because you can never guarantee what's going on at the other end of that phone. That's right. Uh, uh, and you need to make sure that you maintain confidentiality of closed session. Um, and I, Mark, you agree with that? Yeah, I, I have the same confidentiality concerns that everybody else has. Um, it, it, it makes me nervous having board members participate in a closed session by speakerphone or by Skype. Mm -hmm. uh, do any of you, uh, Kim and um, Mark, do any of you have boards that have policies on uh, on this, in this area of uh, people participating in the meetings remotely? Uh, I do not. The boards that I represent do not have a policy, and so we don't we don't do it. Those boards don't do it. Uh, a couple of my clients are in the process of actually fine-tuning some policies to deal with this issue, as well as uh, policies actually dealing with whether board members can participate in committee meetings by speakerphone. Mm -hmm. Although they're not subject oh. to the Open Public Meetings Act, it's come up with some of my clients that board members, due to business reasons, may not be able to participate in committee meetings. And the board felt in one particular case uh, that it was important to have some policies in place for that as well. Well, see, committee meetings don't bother me as much because it's not subject to the Sunshine Law. But right. I do agree that a policy, either way, is a good a good way to go. Now, I haven't heard that one on the committees. That's yeah. an interesting uh, scenario. But mm -hmm. uh, as Kim said, it's not really uh, subject to the Sunshine Law. So uh, I guess that would be okay. Um, okay, we're coming now to, towards the end. Uh, any final comments on uh uh, we'll go around. Everyone, uh, John, I'll start with you. Any final recommendations for a board in the, in, when they deal with these issues? Um, be very, very cautious. Uh, be sure to have policies 
in place for those things that are uh, legally permissible. And as always, use your board attorney or New Jersey school boards as a resource. Okay, Kim? Uh, stay away from uh, <laughs> making derogatory comments about your workplace or staff or superintendent on Facebook. <laughs> I would say you so don't even do it anywhere. Don't uh, do it anywhere. Then you have to worry about it. Okay, Mark? Um, I think technology is a wonderful thing. I think that board members just have to be smart about how they use it and um, remember that the public has a right to be part of their their thinking process and their deliberations. So don't do anything to shield the public from uh, what they might want to be witness to. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, you know, Kim. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. And Mark, as always, welcome. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate it. And John, well, you know, you're, you're only a few doors down, but you're always welcome too. <laughs> okay, uh, that brings us to the end of this uh, conversation on New Jersey education. I hope you found it uh, interesting. Uh, next week we'll be doing uh, on Friday the same time we'll be discussing board reorganization, and we'll have Mike Calvert from NJS Bay's legal department and Terry Lewis, a field service rep. And uh, thank you for listening, and uh, have a good day. <laughs>